0: Hi, everybody. It is season six, episode eight, and I have Matt Ram back with me. How are you doing, Matt?
1: Good morning, Catherine. Very, very well, thank you. Um, following my uh, my very wet holiday in um, in one of the Canary Islands about uh, two weeks uh-huh. ago, I managed to, or well, Teresa and I, managed to get away to Tenerife.
0: Oh, last, lovely.
1: week before last, and rather than four days of solid rain, we actually had virtually the whole seven days of complete sunshine.
0: Oh, lovely. 24 to
1: 28 degrees every day, just to make make everybody feel bad. I was going to say, um, making um, us feel
0: jealous, Matt. Go on, go for
1: it. Well, I, I, I'm afraid so. And then <laughs> and then we, we, we got off the plane in Manchester and it was about six degrees. And oh. got-
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is the thing, isn't it? That is the absolute epitome of, you know, you're coming home from a holiday when you hey. live in the UK. Oh. It's just like pre- beautiful weather. You always come back to rain. There's no, never no, a doubt no. is that it's rain. And it's for nice, me, so... <laughs> go on.
1: No, no, you're far away. Go on.
0: I was going <laughs> to say for me as well, the, the absolute thing of knowing that we're on our way home is obviously because we live on the, on, on the East coast, is yeah. traveling back yeah. from Manchester towards the East, that farm in the middle of the motorway. Yes. As soon sure. as you see that, it's just like, I'm going home. And I just <laughs> always feel like farmer. I'm just think. I always just think good on you. Keep your home, yeah. keep, keep your know. space. <laughs> every,
1: every time, uh, Teresa is um, leads lass, and every time uh. we go to your um, uh, relatives, we, we pass that farmhouse. And uh, every time, I must have done it a dozen, well, more than a dozen times, and I'm thinking, my God, what an interesting chap he must be. Yeah. Or she must be for that matter
0: absolutely so, hey ho, hey ho. <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> well today we're going to be talking about value-added benefits and how important they are while you have a protection insurance policy at the point and after point of claim too so this is the practical protection podcast So to give everybody a bit of a summary before we start really going into things, when we're talking about value-added benefits, we're talking about those extras that insurers offer as as part of an insurance policy that are usually, you don't have to pay extra for them. But it's really important as an advisor that we don't say that they're a free benefit. In the sense, they're not free. They are offered as part of the policy. But, you know, ultimately, there's money going around somewhere to pay for these kinds of things. So we just need to be very, very careful of our our wording. And another thing that I always do, and I think it it is positive for advisors to put in their demands and needs reports that um, things like this are available, that some advisors maybe even list the specific value-added benefits that come with the policy. It just really makes sure that when you're doing that, that you do say they are a non-contractual benefit. That's a really, really key point of these things because ultimately... The insurer can change who they have these services with and they can potentially remove them. Um, They could remove and replace some with different ones or they might just remove them entirely. We we, we don't know. We can never say that. So just make sure that you don't put yourself in any of a a tricky situation where you've said that this comes with this and then ultimately I say it's non-contractual and it might change. So when we're looking at value-added benefits, we are talking about things like access to GPs. So that is often things like um, having remote access by um, potentially telephone or video consultation with a UK GP. And they're often available um, all day, every day um, in the UK. Uh, There are things like second medical opinion services, where if someone is diagnosed with something, or they're just feeling that they may be not getting access to support through their regular probably the NHS roots, um, and that's not a criticism of the NHS, that is just to say that, as we all know, the resources of the NHS are incredibly stretched. Um and it's worthwhile. And we've got a quite a good example of that um, in a minute that I'll go through. So that's getting a second medical opinion on uh, whether or not you are getting the right treatment or diagnostics, really, or potentially um, as well as diagnosis, the actual diagnosis itself. Uh, we have things like nutrition experts, fitness experts, that could potentially be mental health support, and even things like annual health MOTs, which I um I think are an absolutely incredible thing. Um, and I think what's important to start off with in this episode, we're going to be bouncing backwards and forwards between us quite a bit between me and Matt, because we're going to have seen value-added benefits from different angles. Obviously, I see it from a consumer and from an advisor angle. Matt would have seen it, you know, potentially from consumer angle. I haven't asked you yet, Matt, if you have, but potentially from a consumer angle, but also from, from within the insurer side, from within the underwriter side. And so we'll be getting lots of different viewpoints of how they work. Um, but the thing I wanted to just quickly mention um, when we talk about those second medical, medical opinion services, I'm sure probably quite a lot of people in an industry have seen. And if not, please go do check it out. And um, the story of Dave Marcus. Now, that went out um, live, I believe it was yesterday. And in terms of this podcast going out, it won't be yesterday in terms of that timing. So it went live on the 26th of November. And and it went out in This Is Money. And that was all about Dave, who's he works at Teladoc. He's a commercial director there. And he's very, very aware of value-added benefits because Teladoc is one of the providers, potentially, of some of the value-added benefits that we might get. And in his story, he says that... You know, he was feeling quite yuck. He had this really persistent cough. He was going to the GP. They kept saying it was a chest infection, giving him antibiotics, saying that, you know, eventually it would pass. Um, He was having like the negative COVID tests and everything like that. And he did use his second medical opinion services that he had with his insurance. And what was absolutely phenomenal and so important about this and his story is such a good example is that by using that, he did get some additional tests and he was diagnosed with lung cancer. So then very quickly, um, I believe he'd had a critical illness policy. So we had all of that, um, obviously financial support came in, but even more so, the value added benefits, in a sense, in some ways, were even far more beneficial than the money because it was the value added benefits, that second medical opinion service that actually triggered everything that led to him having that diagnosis to be able to get the treatment um, and to be able to, to obviously be able to he- be here and share his story. Apparently, I could see on the on the article that it said that about people who ha- are diagnosed with lung cancer, I didn't realize so many people Matt, were, were diagnosed and um, passed away with lung cancer. So every year, apparently 35,000 people pass away in the UK um, due to, to lung cancer and only 40% um, survive for longer than a year. So obviously, Dave is doing incredible that he has um, managed to to survive that diagnosis. And obviously, getting such an early trigger and, and access to support will have been a really key part of that. Um, so I think a good way for us to start would be to go through if we start from the start why you know in a sense from both of us why do we see that insurers are offering these value-added benefit it's not just about competition with each other is it we always there is that thing traditionally that critical illness cover has always been a bit of a competition of you know well we do 52 conditions yeah well we do 54 now and it's always been a little bit of one-upmanship and that kind of thing but with value-added benefits we're talking about anything we're talking about even life insurance which doesn't necessarily have that same competitive aspect that may critical illness income protection can have, um, to the same level anyway. Um, so what are your thoughts then? Why, why are we offering these benefits?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start with my thoughts, to be honest with you, Catherine. Thank you for that. Can I just take a step back? I'm sorry, this is probably about uh, yeah. every episode I think uh, I'll do this. For which no, I, go I, for I apologize it. I apologise to everybody. Um, Dave, um, I just, just an important point <clears throat> there for me in that article was that I believe Dave was a non-smoker.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: And I think still, even these days, even potentially with some clinicians, dare I say that, um, I I was thinking of of Dave going along to his doctor and chest infections and chest infections being put put forward. But I would, maybe the fact that he was a non-smoker um, detracted or, or distracted, so I should say, oh. from the potential of of uh, of lung cancer because, you know, certainly when I was growing up, I appreciate sure that was a, a long time ago now. But lung cancer was always linked with smoking. Yeah, and of course now, certainly in the the, the you know, uh, technical medical journals, and the Lancet, BMJ, things like that, you'll find a. a a lot of diagnosis being made from lifetime non-smokers so you know it's 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 always something to bear in mind and i think if you do start to get um longish term wise um chest issues then you know certainly get along to your gp or get a second opinion just just like dave did um as i say i think being a non-smoker can suddenly Certain, on occasions cloud where this may end
0: up yeah i so can imagine really, that because if, if really there's an analysis a... isn't there if if, if, a, <laughs> if a doctor's looking or a nurse is looking and they're going well hang on a minute are you a smoker there's it's winter because this was in december that he'd not been well i think it was right. um okay. so you know we've yeah. got the winter months we've got covid we've got chest infections this person's as you say non-smoker <laughs> that they may be in terms of that almost a bit of a tick box system it probably yep. didn't fall into the high flag area in a sense for, for cancer.
1: Well, I certainly think. I mean, my, my experiences of I think it's 111. <clears throat> right. Excuse me. Yes. i had a, bit of a chesty cough myself this morning, slightly okay. worrying me. <clears throat> well, you've got me. a
0: second medical uh, opinion. Go for it, Matt.
1: Well, what can I say? <laughs> um, I'll look in Brack's book, don't we? Okay. Um, Sorry, where was I? Um, yeah, so the one, 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 um, yes, the 111. Yes. That is a very, I don't know if you used it, Catherine, at all for anybody, a friend or a, or a or relative or, or even yourself maybe. Yeah, I've used it for the children. It's in, Of course, yeah. It's incredibly prescriptive, isn't it? It really is. You
0: know, really it is,
1: is. It, you know it, it, yes equals go to another box, go to another box, go to another box, that type of thing. Yeah. And I, and I do worry, on the, certainly on the times that I've used it for um uh, for a relative, that um, it, it, it's very, it, it seems to be uh, pretty hit and miss. Yes. Um, I, I have to say. But I mean, you know, I'm sure it, it, it serves its function as a triage yeah. for emergency calls. So um, I'm sure it does some good, but I wouldn't, I certainly personally think think um, people need to look beyond that, that and the questions they're being asked. For me, it's a little bit like the computer
0: says. Well, I was just thinking there was a computer system, wasn't there? I'm assuming it's maybe still available, but there used to be a thing where you could go on, couldn't you? And it's like, do you need to get medical support? And I remember, I think it was almost anything you put in, it was just like, you may be going to say, I've had a, you know, I've got um, a really bad headache or something. Or there'd be something and it would just be immediately saying, well, you need to go to A&E. And it was almost every single... I couldn't find I think obviously I didn't do all the options but it it just seemed like any option that I looked at it was just constantly saying you need to go to A&E and it was at the time it was like well no I really don't you know in a sense And I know obviously I'm not a medical professional but I can't remember what it was it was something quite minor in a sense that I'd gone on for and I just thought I really don't need to go to A&E and then that kind of made me think oh well and to, 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 in a sense, doubt the system in, a, in yes, some ways, which is definitely, so you, you tend to have one that seems to say, well, no, there's nothing wrong with you, just get on with it. And then another one that's just like, no, get straight to hospital. And it's 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 very confusing. Uh,
1: abs- absolutely. And I, and I think to an extent, why are we talking about this And uh, is the point I was trying to make was that actually talking to medical professionals, you know, for instance, access to a GP. So access to a medical person, often virtually is my understanding, yes. um, is worth its weight in gold. And, you know, you, you, touch, you, you touched on the, uh, the NHS and the, the challenges that these guys are facing all over the place in the National Health Service, doctors, nurses, social support, etc. Then mm. getting quick access to a medical professional um, is, is absolutely um, critical To my mind. And I think, really, um, I I believe that added value services, as you've described them, have been available for a very long time. Um, But really, over the last five years, probably less than that, certainly since COVID, the uh, the insurance industry has really looked at providing um, extra help to their clients um, Mm -hmm. and their policyholders uh, to to help them, if if nothing else. With the NHS functioning as it is, then urgent care or an urgent view is often required. I mean, I won't go into all the statistics around people on waiting lists. The one that really frightens me, I mean, cancer, having been a sufferer of cancer, of course, um, is incredibly scary. But the the one that really does scare me is, is the mental health backlogs. And yeah. they they are they are they are truly sad and very very frightening. But you, you did ask me: um, Are, are uh, insurers competing against each other? Then I don't see that personally. I, I don't see that. But it it it's a part of the insurance industry, or a lot of the insurance industry actually want to do something to help their clients and. A lot of what we've been talking about on the services that provide are, are provide a preventative solution. Now, from an insurance perspective, that's fantastic for, for a consumer, but also from an insurance perspective, prevention is better than a cure, the old saying, it always yep. comes out. And you know, there is absolutely no doubt that um, insurers will, in some cases, um, benefit from not uh from from the the person not going as far medically that actually warrants a claim there is no two ways about that now is that a cynical thing i ask myself no i don't think it is at all yeah. who on earth wants to have a heart attack who on earth wants to have cancer um I, I, I can't think anybody in their like right mind would want to go that far so prevention is far far better and yes obviously insurers will benefit from that Now, an early diagnosis is obviously um, uh, great. Well, it's not great, but it's better than having a diagnosis of a a late-stage cancer, an early-stage cancer, let's say. It's better than a late-stage cancer. And if you're talking life insurance, then um, that's likely to be a good move for the insurer. Um, But surely, getting a uh, an early diagnosis as opposed to a late diagnosis for things like cancer um, has to be a good thing for the client at the end of the day. I think that's also you. You certainly hope so, yeah. Yeah. And and also, you know, if we look at the other side, so there's a prevention solution, which a lot of these benefits actually provide. But there's also the kind of the tangible solutions to both physical and mental health as well, Mm. Um, and also financial, because if a person is it can be prevented from getting a serious disease, or get it tackled earlier. Um, help with their mental health. Help uh, financial difficulties often uh, run alongside mental health issues. Then, then that has to be a good thing for everybody. And one of the one of the um, benefits to an insurer, um, it's very early early days, but it's, it's actually the persistency. Of, uh, of the insurance policy. In 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 layman's speak, that means that the, the person with the insurance policy can still keep on paying the premiums to keep the policy alive. Yeah. Because those financial difficulties caused by being ill are very short or that haven't happened at all because of the prevention nature. That's very early doors, but I think you'll find um, a lot of um, the more technical side of the insurer, so the actuaries in particular, um I do talk about that as a benefit to them. But I, I you know, I, I 100% believe in insurance. There's no choice about it. I have benefited, benefited myself from critical illness insurance. My wife has benefited from critical illness insurance. Um, and anything that can keep a product on the books when money when, when is tight has, has to be a good thing. But overall, prevention is better than cure. I completely Toronto agree. Yeah. And this is what these products are all about. So there could be some cynicism out there regarding the insurance motives, but believe me, um, I can only see this, these benefits as something for the good of everybody.
0: I think that's obviously from the majority and from people from I think internal to the industry. I think absolutely. And I, and I do think a lot of consumers do see that these are absolute benefits and it's interesting though sometimes I think it can sometimes that you say in terms of the cynicism it can show just how much people view insurance when you can sometimes get the responses to them because I you know obviously I'll tell people about value-added benefits and explain it to them and as I say majority of people that's brilliant yes you know if I can have one even if the insurance policies may be a bit more expensive, you know, to go with somebody who offers a lot more value-added benefits than, say, someone who's a little bit cheaper, quite a lot of the time people will go, well, actually, I'll go do that. And I have to say from an advisor point of view, compliance point of view, with the caveat so that you have it in your reports to say, we've gone for this option, which is a bit more expensive because of these non-contractual benefits. However, there was this cheaper option, but out of the two, you chose the one that had this one because they've got these benefits for now. These may change in the future, da-da-da-da-da. I'm just going to make sure I get that in there for the compliance people that might listen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you do need to think of those things, especially as an advisor. It's so important to think of those things. So the last thing you want to do is get a complaint later down the line because you said that this was going to be available and not be clear.
1: I think that contractual piece is a very important part. Absolutely. I have have known some of these benefits being pulled and the issues arising. So I think it's very important to flag it.
0: Exactly, and it, I also think as well it's not good enough to turn around. Or, or, I don't. I don't know if I'd say it's not good enough. I would say that if you were in an argument as to whether or not it was good enough that there's the the insurer's key features document or something else said that it's non contractual, and as an advisor you've then not written to highlight that, I think that that would be you know. I would just think it's better to write that it's non-contractual basically that would be my point of view (laughs) Um, let's not get into any kind of uh, trouble but um just going back sometimes consumers I mean I've had it before and it's and it just it makes me really sad to be honest and I'll say to people obviously you're going to have these benefits and things like that and you know you don't pay extra for them it's all kind of all absorbed into the pricing and everything that's there and there are some people, though, that automatically – and I have had this said to me, basically go, oh, they're just trying to think of anything, aren't they, not to pay out? Because, you know, I've, I've said to them, so the, the whole point idea of this is that, you know, obviously you can get second medical opinion services If anything is starting to happen, you know, you can get diagnosed and get treated, you know, so you can probably trigger seeing somebody quicker, um, you know, yeah, and all this yeah. kind of stuff, and so you can get an early diagnosis, just like what Dave had. And then that means, you know, that hopefully – that if anything is happening, that it won't develop into something really serious. it be caught super early, and um, and that you'll be as well as possible. And some people still have that thing of going, well, so they're just. It's just, yeah, it's just another way for them not to pay. And it's just like, and you're trying to say something, but it's a real win-win for everyone here. There is yeah. the ultimate, you know, the, the, we can't ignore that the insurers are having an essential financial win in some ways from it because if they can offer something that isn't hundreds of thousands of pounds of payout that we would often see in a life and critical illness policy. And it would be um, them stepping in with a value-added benefit. It helps the person now while they are alive. It helps them to stop developing something really quite unpleasant. When we're talking about critical illnesses, you know, we're not, we're not just talking about small diagnostics of these conditions. We're talking about not really not nice, either like potentially like as you say, like a cancer, where it can be hopefully a temporary situation, but there's going to be pretty hefty and not pleasant treatment. Or we're going to be talking about something long-term, like Parkinson's, like my dad has, where it is going to be a condition that's going to be there's going to be deterioration over time in health. And if the insurers are doing that and helping that, I mean, it's just that kind of it, it's that really difficult sometimes to get through that mindset of thinking, no, this isn't the insurers just trying not to pay out. Yes, they get a financial win, but your win is that you're going to avoid this really horrendous situation and hopefully avoid this really horrendous situation obviously as long as they engage with it, and as long as you know things are happening and you know hopefully it means that you're not going to develop a critical illness or you're not going to die early which means you're going to be with your family for for much much longer in a much much happier place and and I think that can be that can be quite difficult I think as an advisor. To come across, I say the majority of people aren't like that, but there are times that we do come across that, and I think the only thing we can do is just, as always, just try and continue to try and better the the image of the insurance injury uh, sorry industry. um It's a very tricky one.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I, I suppose having been in the industry work for forty odd years now, it, it, it's still I, I share your um, sadness about why. There is a, a probably still a significant, a decent number of, uh, of people who are so cynical about insurers. Mm. Um, but th- but there we go. Um, th- th- these mm. benefits really are superb. There, there's no two yeah. ways about it.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say, no, no, say as well, and I think that financial side of it as well, where people think that the insurer might be winning out. And obviously I have said, you know, that in a sense there is a bit of a financial win because the insurer is maybe not going to pay out the, the big, large, you know, summer of shirts um, at times. Obviously, they do pay them out plenty of times, but there might be times that that is avoided because there's early intervention. But at the same point, these value added benefits, not exactly cheap, are they? Because... They are most of them are available immediately from when you start a policy, and that would be for the policyholder for the immediate Andy. family as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and ultimately, if the insurer is paying out for this remote GP, and let's say with somebody they've taken out a life insurance policy and it's costing them eight pound a month, and they've had it maybe two months, so they've paid sixteen pounds to the insurer, but yet they're already speaking to remote GPs. The insurer at that point is obviously not making up you know this they're in kind of like a negative balance <laughs> compared to to what's going on in terms of the premiums coming in so so it's not a case of this is all happening and the insurers is doing some sort of like backdoor magic or whatever to try and you know, keep all the money or anything like that this is something that is it's one it does cost them quite a bit of money um, there are obviously benefits to, to having them in place as well in terms of claims um, for, for a number of different reasons in terms of claims, uh, whether or not that is supporting somebody through a claim or, as you said, early intervention and then a claim may or may not happen. But there's also as well that thing of an And I show sure that a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, I hope not many people, but I do think there's quite a few people who don't think insurers are doing things for for the goodness of their heart in a sense or for their morals. The but this goodness. is yeah. yeah, but this really is. It's taking pressure away from the NHS. It's it's helping people to access things super early. In a sense, insurers don't have to do this, but they are. You know, it's it's not a mandate to them that they have to do this kind of thing. So it's it is a really, really positive social thing that insurers are doing by offering these.
1: I can't agree more. I think it's extremely well said, Catherine. Um, if, if I just go back, you know, the, the I have talked about kind of preventing claims or therefore preventing claims payouts, but Dave's example, again, going back to Dave, yeah. it, that actually, the, the the intervention, if you want, actually meant, resulted in a claim being paid, did it
0: not? Yes. Yes, it did. Exactly.
1: So there you could, you know, that's, that's, that's the other side of that coin. Not necessarily around, it's not around preventing, uh, sorry, not paying out more claims. It's helping people so that they don't get into the situation where they they have to make a claim. Exactly. Um, and, you know, we've talked about the critical illness there, but income protection as well gets people back to work. These things will help people either not be off work in the first place. Or get people back to work a lot quicker. Yes. Um, and that surely has to be a social good. Yes, it, it, it would, would save the insurers money in terms of the actual claim payout, but it has to be a social good. There's there's no two ways about it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I can't really say any more apart from I, I, I agree. Um, they certainly – I don't have the uh, financial numbers around how much – uh, these things cost and I if, I did say right at the very beginning of, of my part of our uh, of, of our chat that these uh, benefits uh, additional value services have um, really exploded I suppose in terms of insurers offering them over the last few years hmm. and I suppose the, the the mathematical side of me would say yes they are costing insurers money. Can they say, hand on heart, that it will save them money at the end of the day? Mm. Now, my my take would be that they don't know yet. Yeah. It's early doors. Um, but it's the right thing to do.
0: It is. It's the right thing to do. It. And I think, you know, when you are just saying then about getting back to work and stuff like that, so to just to break that down for potentially advisors or consumers who are listening. So if you were if to think of like an income protection policy, and something happens and you need um and you need to have some physio well it could well be that with your policy with the value-added benefits that you're actually able to see a physio incredibly quickly you know it could even be within a within a week um i think there's times as well where it can even be either the same day on a couple of days depending upon where you are location wise and obviously yeah. depending upon availability yeah. of people um now, and so with that, it might well be that your income protection policy says, right, we'll give you financial support after four weeks if you are um, if you aren't unable to work due to ill health. So, so when it comes to that, those value added benefits, it, it then becomes a thing of, well, do you want to get the physio quickly, get back to work really quickly, so you, you're back to work before that four weeks even is over, so the insurer doesn't kick in that financial support. Or, you know, it might be that you do wait for more than four weeks to get that. But then, especially for that first four weeks alone, you'd have probably been on statutory sick pay maybe, um, which is less than £100 a week. Um, So financially, you know, for for the person as well, as well as having that physio getting better sooner, and I think the majority of people would want to get better as soon as possible, um, and then getting back into work. Yes, it means that you might not claim on the policy because you might be back to work before the four weeks of it, but it also means that, you're hopefully back to work sooner so that financial loss in that first four weeks potentially isn't as great. So there are there are very specific times where these kinds of things are, are fantastic. I mean, I've got some examples as well of when I've used the value-added benefits and I have some positives and I have some bits where like towards the end where I'm going to say things I feel like could maybe... Maybe needs a bit of reworking or maybe needs to be a bit stronger. Um, so in terms of the remote GP access, I mean, that was fantastic. So the story that I have is that um, we went to Malta and we had our three children with us. And we noticed and one of my, my eldest child has had eczema. Childhood eczema, the majority of his life at the time, or what was it? He was about eight, I think. Yeah, maybe about eight. Um, And um, I don't think he was eight. Anyway, um, and so he's, you know, he'd had the horrible, horrific red bumps on on his elbows and the backs of his knees. You know, we'd had to have steroid ointment quite a bit. We'd done all the things that you could possibly ask for and need um, in terms of eczema. And it had been years. And, you know, I'd even gone to to other things, you know, in, in terms of other medications, that don't, lotions at times that have proven to be really good and, you know, just whatever we could do. And he would, you know, he would scratch it, you know, red rot, bleeding point and stuff like that. It was awful. And... um and I kept saying to Alan over and over again, I was just like, I just don't think it's eczema. I know they're saying it's eczema, but I do not think it's eczema um, because we're doing everything. This just, you know, and this isn't right. This nothing seems to add up as to sort of the standard things as to when it should flare up or things like that. And we were on holiday and my children tan incredibly well um, I used to when I was younger I'm very jealous now that I don't um, but they've they got a beautiful beautiful brown colour like a really olive skin tone and I noticed with my eldest um, that on his back and on those patches of his elbows his skin had gone pure white and it looked mm-hmm. as if somebody had taken a rubber and just randomly on different parts of his skin had just erased the tan it was really strange And so obviously, I'm in Malta, don't know what's going on with it, my skin's going, you know, you know, patchy things, obviously, I'm really worried. Um, And so I went onto the app for my remote GP. I was on there at, I think it was maybe somewhere between three and five o'clock one day. And the next day at 11 in the morning, I had a video consultation with a GP in the UK, which was brilliant. I was able to speak about my concerns obviously as everyone can probably appreciate with me i had done my research as to what i thought it was um i'm that person by the way (laughs) and so um so i'd done all this and i spoke to the gp and everything and um and we obviously we i went through it we were there i'd obviously a few minutes before the appointment, I'd been in a bikini and on the swim trunks. You know, we quickly got like some some T-shirts on because, you know, still you can't go to a GP appointment in your bikini and stuff like that. And we could turn the video onto my son's skin. We could explain it and everything. And I was immediately as well able to explain my concerns. And it actually, Matt, is um, it's pityriasis versicolor that he has. Um, uh,
1: Riasis
0: versicolor.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: So basically it's a a common fungal skin infection and you need to have antifungal cream. And as soon as we used it on him, all the bits that we've been told were eczema immediately disappeared.
1: Oh, fantastic. I'm so So, glad for him.
0: Yeah. Well, he used to, I know, well, he used to scream, scream like mad when we put the creams on him. And like, if I tried to put like after sun on him or anything, he would just scream saying everything was stinging him all the time. I mean, granted, I have to say, I know, I know children who've had eczema far worse than here. So I know that even with his treatment, it wasn't like to a point of really intervention's sake, but it was just sure. for me, as soon as I, I did some research about all this stuff and I was just like, right. And I spoke to the GP, I said it and they are like, they're like, well, it, it could be. I don't you know, we don't know. We can't see him, but it might be. We we can sort out the trying to get some antifungal stuff when you get back. And and we did, and it completely cleared it up. Which, but that was just fantastic. I was able, and I've used this plenty of times in terms of speaking to a GP during lockdown. We have it. Yeah. We, we have group insurance for our, our company for our team, so they all had access to this kind of thing, and it was brilliant. A lot of the team do have children, but even if you don't have children, it was just such a comfort to be able to speak to someone and to be able to to really know that you had access to people. Um, it was an incredible uh, resource to have. Um. I've also had like one of the annual health MOTs done. So um, with one of my insurances, I get like my um, my cholesterol and uh, my other things, the other things in my bloods, all that kind of stuff gets test- tested. And um, so that's always really positive to, to have that done and just make sure that everything is doing what it's meant to be doing. Um, And the fact as well that we can access these things for our kids. So, so. Yeah, we, so, so important. It is. We've had quite a few things with our kids where we've just gone, you know what, we're just not comfy. What's going on? Let's speak to someone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, isn't it amazing how quickly all, all with um, your eldest, how quickly that diagnosis or potential diagnosis could be made and yeah. a solution provided?
0: absolutely absolutely and i think with alan at one point as well so i'm sure he was going down to london and so obviously we're in the north and he was going down to london for something and he'd contacted because i've forgotten what it's called he had some kind of an infection around his nail bed on one of his fingers and i can't remember, there's a really specific name for it and i can't remember the name for it. it's a unusual name and <laughs> um, but he had it and he'd contacted them basically on route to London and um and when he got there they'd been able to send a prescription to one of the local pharmacies for him to just go pick up i mean that's just fantastic isn't it that you can just do that you know where near your own gp you know where near your local pharmacy and you've just called up and they're just like yeah that's absolutely fine you've sent us a picture we know what it is here's an antibiotic cream kind of thing um just absolutely brilliant. And I think that's the one that really stands out for me is that obviously the second medical opinions, especially when you take things like Dave's situation into it. And and I know that there are so many examples uh, with places like Teladoc and, and others where that second medical opinion service has proved incredibly vital um, to someone's life and, and potentially to their treatment as well um, going forward. Um in terms of mm-hmm. I know we've spoken about like a lot of this that we're saying and obviously we have spoken a little bit about the Dave, um Dave situation. And I hope he's okay about yeah. us talking about it. It's just it came up, obviously it's come up so so aptly for our timing for doing an episode on the value-added benefits that um I'll I'll, um it it was just it it was brilliant to to be able to do that I'll reach out to him and have a a chat to him and just say that we're going to be talking about him quite a bit Um, (laughs) but in terms of obviously so I've spoken about it from like an advisor point of view I know you've spoken about it as well from an underwriting and insurer point of view but in terms of an actual claim or post claim situation where do you see those value-added benefits really standing out as being helpful I think it,
1: anything where, in, in terms of the rehabilitation for the for the living benefits, um, has to be a very positive thing for the uh, the, the claimant. Um, We've physiotherapy. Um, the in terms of a post claim, things like physiotherapy. Things like cardiac rehabilitation, stroke rehabilitation, uh, all have to be very, very positive benefits, um, without any, without any shadow of a doubt, to to the claimant. We have said that um, in terms of uh, the insurance company, you exp- you made a, a very good example. Of uh, somebody who can get back to work a little bit earlier than maybe they could. I also say with the, with, um, with musculoskeletal problems, which as you know are a big big part mm. uh, reason for claims with uh, things like in protection, the sooner you can get treatment with a physiotherapist, the far better the prognosis yes because once once you start to stiffen up and your muscles start to to you be used in a different way because they're supporting another group of muscles it takes a lot of time to get those muscles uh, working the right way um and i know that for a fact and um, I, I left a, a shoulder injury a rugby injury for the best part of 25 years can you believe oh. <laughs> before i got it sorted out I actually Dislocated the shoulder and it went popped back in. Right. Um, but when um, when I eventually got to see a consultant and with all the new scanning techniques they've got, they said, "Oh yes, look, you've lost half. Uh, well, a third of the cartilage oh. that holds holds your arm into the socket, um, and you're and you effectively your arm is slipping down out of its socket." But it took the best part of eighteen months to get. Uh, of of physiotherapy twice a week in order to get that shoulder working again and um, it's a bit of an extreme example but the sooner you can get that treatment started and working the the better it is and these types of services can at least get you on the right track yeah There's there's, there's, there's no two ways about it So, did that answer
0: the question, Catherine, or have I gone off on a tangent yet again? No, 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 It's absolutely answers it. Thank you. I'm I'm the one that usually does tangents, so don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think um, a good thing um, for us to maybe think of as well, um, and I I don't think I can think of anything necessarily, but do we think that there's anything missing from value-added benefits at the moment? So, we've got GP access, we've got mental health support, nutrition, fitness, we've got second medical opinion. Do we Do we think that we're covering all the bases?
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a, that's a very difficult question to answer. I was I was um, reading uh, up on the subject of uh, adding value uh, prior to our chat, and um, I did see an article quoted that said that the, the lady who's writing it, uh, a good friend of mine, actually, she's now retired, sadly, Um had calculated that there were sixty to seventy different types of service provider, giving uh, vast amounts of different types of benefit. So, I think with that extensive coverage, then that will probably cover the most things. Mm. I think that what we need to be aware of here, in Catherine. I think you know, your, I think your knowledge is, is will probably be better than mine. But we're, we we there's, there's no substitute here for PMI. We're not trying yes. to 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 um, substitute these benefits for private medical insurance. That's a different beast altogether. Absolutely. Um, what it does for me, in a very simplistic way, is that it it, it really really speeds up the triage of getting people patients. Who first walk through the door, have, have a complaint, a medical complaint, um, get them to the right place and the right people very, very quickly, as opposed to having to wait potentially months to even have their first follow-up appointment. Yeah. This is, I think, really where, uh, for the consumer, this, this really does work. Um, as I say, it's not a replacement by any stretch of imagination for medical insurance. No. The comprehensive private medical insurance but it really does speed things up and let's be honest with the NHS it it, 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 it takes all it, it saves the NHS so much time
0: yeah
1: that um, it, it, it really is a social benefit so I to answer your question then Catherine I, I can't really put my hand on my heart and say I, I don't you know I, I can put my uh, and say there is something ultimately missing but maybe just to reiterate. It, this is is this is not a private medical insurance
0: plan. Absolutely, I, mean, I think that comes down to you know if we sort of like explain how it would work in some way. So if you had a private medical insurance plan, you would usually speak to your GP, get a GP referral, and then you would contact your private medical insurer, who would then you know obviously double check that they can cover that type of a, a claim on the policy, and then step in and getting you access to professionals. So so in terms of the value added benefits, you would. You know, you potentially see a remote GP who might then trigger that conversation to sort of go like, right, well, maybe themselves or maybe write to your GP and say, look, we've spoken to this person. We think that they need a referral to this situation, to this, you know, uh, medical yeah. support. And um, at which point from there, again, that would then you could then use those referral letters to then speak to your private medical insurer if you do have that. So, so as you say, in terms of second medical opinion services you know, absolutely excellent, incredibly good. If you don't have PMI, amazing things to have. If you have private medical insurance, then that's probably going to have fulfilled some of, you know, obviously, well, hopefully a good portion of that sort of like second, well, getting in a, a quick set of eyes on it. You could still use your second medical opinion service just to double check that you think the private medical insurance is doing it all right. But all of these things are about getting you to the right people as quickly as possible. So they're all Um and and I think that's really important to, to be aware of. As you say, Matt, it, it's certainly not a replacement for getting private medical insurance. Um I, I could be wrong. I don't feel I don't believe that private medical insurance necessarily gives you access to remote GPs regularly. I could be wrong. Maybe it does.
1: Not as okay, not as far you... as I am aware, but I'm not, um, I'm not a PMI expert. But no, um, neither
0: am I. I'm <laughs> as
1: far as aware. I. I think the um the important thing for me is there with even with um um, I
0: think it can do you know I'm pretty sure one of my it is terrible isn't it because obviously I mean well this shows how much it, it differs between different departments and insurance. I'm sure I have, have a private medical honest I
1: think I think things advance at such a rapid pace it's yeah. so difficult to keep I have
0: private medical insurance and I'm pretty sure that I can access a GP remotely with my well, private medical go. insurance. I'm pretty sure I can. I may well have made that up. so <laughs> trust me in these episodes trust me on protection insurance. Don't necessarily trust me on the things like what's available with a PMI and stuff like that. But I'm sure I do. I'm sure I do.
1: Okay. I mean, again, I I would really just say it's about around the speed. I think with something with a topic like mental health, yes. um, A GP is not necessarily going to have the time to actually get you to the right person. Yes. uh, at, At the right. Well, sorry. Let's say say the right type. Of, yes. of, of doctor or the right type of service immediately where a second opinion may help clarify that situation
0: absolutely i think that's a really good um point in terms of like the second <laughs> medical opinion services and things like that
1: particularly on mental health I, I would say that really that really could work very very well
0: Yes, absolutely. Because that was actually as well on the mental health side. Of so I think when we're talking about there, we're talking about the second medical opinion on mental health, not the specific mental health support route that's offered with yeah. these value added benefits. So, yeah. so this would be the one thing that I would say um, that for me, stands out as as obviously it's brilliant to have mental health support with these insurance with these value added benefits um the the key thing for me though that I always um try and and put forward and, and hopefully people can can hear and and obviously um maybe make some change at the times is that you know when we see stuff like mental health support it is usually like mental health support we're here to help you and a number um it there needs to be clarity on that because people and consumers don't understand well anybody they don't understand well what mental health support can you and can you not support so you know if somebody is feeling like they might potentially harm themselves or harm someone else those mental health support lines aren't necessarily designed but for people in that situation if you if someone feels that they might have um, a personality disorder of some sort again those situations that those mental health support lines aren't generally designed to help people in that way and I think and the key reason I, I sort of like try to call for like some really clear clarity very early on so people know what to do is that when you have mental health you get pushed around from pillar to post all the time yeah. you'll see a GP yeah. you'll see a mental health nurse you maybe see a cognitive behavior therapist you might see a psychologist a lot of the time, it's, it's unlikely to get to see a psychologist, and um, psychiatrist, unless quite a severe, not severe, quite a strong action has been taken um, in terms of a mental health situation. Um, you know, potentially, you know, somebody might have been um, sectioned in hospital, you know, they might have needed to stay in the hospital for a bit for, for due to some symptoms that they're experiencing. And it takes an incredibly long time. I've been um obviously i've had mental health and i've obviously i've seen a gp i have seen a psychologist um i have because my autism seen a psychiatrist i didn't see them for mental health but some for the autism but i have seen and been very close to people who've tried to get support not through the insurers value or the benefits mental health support so but general in the nhs side it that area is incredibly under resourced it's very, very hard to get to see anybody. Um, And there, again, are tick boxes at times that basically say, unless this has happened, or this has happened, then you're not, you don't get to go to the next level of person that can offer you support. And and the reason that I'm, I'm sorry, saying all that is that if someone has gone through that, if they have spent years trying to bounce around from here to there to everywhere, to try and get support, and And that's not the assumption of saying, well, this is somebody who wouldn't get insurance because if their mental health is that strong, they would, you know, that can just be people who just generally need support. It doesn't mean that there's been anything that would stop them from getting insurance for them to then see something somewhere else that says, Oh, they can offer me mental health support here. And they go to it, they get on the phone. They again, yet again, recount their emotions, their experiences, everything like that. And someone at the end goes, Sorry, we're not able to help you. It's a bit too much for what we can do. I'm not saying they'd say it in that wording. I'm sure they'd have much better wording to let people down gently. That's not OK. So for me, a bit of a call on the action on this in terms of the mental health side of things is just to make sure that when we are promoting stuff like that, that there is. And I do think I have seen I think some insurers make this change where there is a clear kind of thing to say mental health support. These are the kind of situations that we can help with and to sort of I know it can't list everything. um, But there's also it's important not to give false hope to people and, you know, to give them yet another area where they may be knocked back. And ultimately, that's then just going to give them a negative feeling towards the insurer, um, which is something that we obviously we always want to try and avoid. Yeah,
1: well said. Well said.
0: Thank you.
1: We did identify something then.
0: Yeah, we did. We did. No, I was going to say that wasn't something that's missing necessarily. I mean, there no, are, you know, no, no. it is there. It is very valuable. It's just making sure that, you know, a, a lot of the people who would reach out for mental health support, a significant portion are people who have mental health conditions. And we just need to make sure that, um, you know, sorry, they already know that they have them. That's what I mean in terms of diagnosis and sure. things like that. Yeah. But we could also be speaking to people who are very, very early on. And, and certainly I'm not advocating for people without training to take these calls on and to try and help this person or, or anything like that. You know, you, you would need to have specific people there. Um, and there are some, you know, obviously there are certainly some organisations that can do that. It's just making sure that we're very open and clear from the start. I'm also almost thinking a bit of a consumer duty aspect to it there, Matt. Yeah, I say no, that's, that.
1: a, that's a very good point. Yeah, consumer okay. duty. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. So we're but, at the end, do you have anything else that you want to share, Matt, about value ads?
1: No, I don't think so. Apart from to say um, I, I think it's a, a great development for the protection industry to, yeah. um, to to really throw an awful lot of effort and money, let's be fair um but these benefits and uh you know I believe they're, they're genuinely there to help the the policyholder the life assured and but also you quite rightly said and I'll just highlight it again the family the children
0: yeah
1: um uh, as well and um it's in my dotage it's a great thing to see
0: yeah absolutely I I absolutely. Adore value to benefits. And as, as I said, you know, even if it's a little bit obviously anybody who's listening advisor-wise, I always go by what your compliance person says. Um, but even if it's a little bit more expensive to go for an insurer who has a lot more on offer, you know, I would give that person that option. And I would, you know, I would always make sure, from an advice point of view, we always have to make sure we're doing it from the most cost-effective way possible for the person, which you know is, is absolutely right. But there's also nothing wrong to say. Look, this is a very, you know you can have this and da da, da da and it's this price. But also, just so you know, but and again, though, from an advice point of view, you would then need to figure out how much extra a month you feel is okay for paying towards something like that.
1: Yeah, sure. If, if it was, yeah, yeah, you
0: know, if it's thirty pound or more dearer with the insurer per month, you know, it's like dearer with the insurer who offers lots and lots of value added benefits. That's quite a steep amount. I mean. People might turn around and say, well, 30 pounds, you know, to have access to a GP on demand. And, you know, th- that, you know, some people might want to pay that. And yes, they might do. Um, but ultimately, again, going back to that thing it is non-contractual. So you can't guarantee it'll be there forever. Um, so there's lots of things to think about. And I say from an advice point of view, go by what your compliance officer says is okay for you to do. So thank you everybody for listening. And thank you as always, Matt, for your insights. Uh, Next time, I'm going to be back with Alan Knowles, and it's going to be our final episode um, before Christmas, so the last one of this season and of 2022, and we're going to be doing a masterclass on providing critical illness cover advice. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk, and don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too, thanks to our sponsors, the OCTO members. Thank you again, Matt. See you soon.
1: My pleasure. Speak soon. Bye.